Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH and 94.5 FM for our friends on the greater east side. A major city in western Washington is now hiring private security in order to keep people safe. That is what's trending. What's trending in Everett? What does it say about a city that's forced to hire private security in order to keep folks visiting or working in downtown safe? And what does it say about a city that's doing things mostly right, as I think Everett has been doing? They have really stepped it up really stepped it up on homelessness, on drug abuse, and on crime, in large part because you have a competent mayor in Cassie Franklin. You have some council members who seem to understand what's going on, some not so much, but mostly they do. And you've got residents who, for the most part, have demanded better than what they've seen happen in Seattle or Tacoma, Olympia. And yet still they're struggling with crime. No matter what it is that they're doing on the ground in Everett, they're still struggling. Kyle is someone who manages a barbershop with an outstanding name. It's called Prime Fades. It almost makes me want to cheat on my barber just to go to a place called Prime Fades. One might say I should be maybe a spokesperson given my Prime Fade. But he spoke with Fox 13 and he said, like so many other businesses, we are dealing with with a stunning amount of crime and vandalism. Businesses in the area have been vandalized. Like our door, we just about three weeks ago had a rock thrown through it. Uh, That was the second time it happened to us in like a a week and a half. Um, Yeah, and like four other businesses on this block have had their windows broken out in the last month. Just in the last month. I mean, think about what that's like to to own or operate a business in an environment like that, where you're not just dealing with your everyday issues as a business owner, trying to make sure that you're profitable, trying to make sure you're delivering a great product or service, but then having to deal with frequent break-ins or vandalism and the costs that are associated with that and the impact that has on your consumers and your staff. And so obviously, Mayor Franklin understands what's going on, and she knows that people are not going to wait forever for some kind of solution. As you all talk to our residents, that's what we hear over and over again as their top priorities is, what are we doing in public safety and what are we doing to address the incredible needs in our community? So what she's doing, at least in part, is funding security services. They're doing this in a way that I I imagine is going to be similar to what we've seen in Seattle. I think Bellingham has something similar. They usually call these folks ambassadors. They're walking around. They're uniformed. I assume they'll be unarmed because that's generally what we've seen, or their their self-defense tools will not be a firearm. It might be mace or something. But it's essentially meant to be some extra eyeballs so that if a crime does occur, you've got someone who can call it in. It's so that people who are visiting or work downtown, they see them and say, hey, okay, I feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that there are, you know, extra mechanisms in place to keep me safe. And then, of course, the more people you have in an area, the more activated it becomes, which means generally that bad guys will say, hey, maybe I shouldn't break into this barbershop here because there's 
chances that I'll get caught by one of these ambassadors who might detain me. I don't know the specifics in this particular case. We know that they're going to be paid $178,000 with this uh, security provider that they've contracted for six months. About $9,000 will go to the administration around the funds. Now, they say the funds are set to expire on June 30th of next year. They don't plan on putting this in place immediately, so it'll be about six months. Now, they are cheating, I will say, in how they're paying for this. Uh, Again, uh, while I understand uh, they're using the American Rescue Plan Act funds, which is meant specifically for COVID, but okay, fine, I get it. They're technically allowed to do this, and... If you ask people who work there, again, like our friend Kyle from Prime Fades, he's all in favor. I think security would be a great idea for us. Ideally, we would be able to stop crimes before they happen, stop vandalism before they happen, or at least we can hold people accountable because we don't we don't even know who's doing it. You know what I mean? We just come to work in the morning and there's glass all over the ground. It's probably a drug addict and or homeless person, but fair enough. Why is this happening? Why is this happening in Everett? Why is this happening in Tacoma, University Place, Lakewood, Bellingham? Why is it happening in Spokane and Vancouver? Kind of obvious. We've been seeing this uptick in criminal behavior, not just during COVID, but during a time in which the state embraced so-called criminal justice reforms that were always meant to dismantle the criminal justice system and rebuild it through a political lens, through a critical race theory lens, through a social justice lens. And they ended up siding with criminals, making it more difficult for police to do their jobs. And of course, the criminals will take advantage of that. Hey, you're going to side with me? You're telling me exactly what I can do? In order to avoid being pursued by police? Okay, thank you. Thank you for that life hack, that criminal hack. Thank you. You're going to put me into restorative justice programs where I can do, I don't know, art therapy instead of going to jail? Awesome. Especially because I don't really have to show up. You're not paying attention anyway. Great. Oh, and the groups that you're giving money to to administer these programs are truly about abolition, not about Changing me? Awesome. Even better. Some of the criminals take it to the extreme and they get violent. They murder. And others are just content and constantly breaking into businesses, stealing from them. I was walking past a sushi restaurant, oddly enough, near my barber in Seattle. And as I walked by, I noticed that the front door had been broken. And it was just wide enough for someone to sneak in. And I'm looking now at the stats across the state. So not just in Everett, not just in Seattle, not just in Western Washington. And I'm looking at the violent crime. Last year, we were way worse than we are today. That's good news. But no one is going to look at the data. No one will look at the data. And say that we're doing what we expect to do. Last year, 394 total homicides. This year, so far, we're at 270. That's great. 
However, here's the caveat. Last year, at this moment, we were at 267. So I look at 394 versus 270. I'm like, that's good. But think of it in this way. Last year, at this point, where we ended, where we ended with 394, we were at 267. We're at 270 now. So we are trending three homicides higher. Now, that could just be meaningless in the grand scheme of things, and we won't see any significant uptick. But are you satisfied with 270? Seriously, are you satisfied with that? We are trending in the wrong direction. We had a record high in 2022, right? That 394 last year, that was a record high. So we're down, although we're technically trending in the wrong direction this year, but just as a raw number, we are down, but we're comparing ourselves to a record high. And dare I say, for those of you who live in Tacoma, you would say 21 homicides, especially when a lot of them have to do with teens, is too high. In Everett, it's at six. Kent, 16. Spokane, 14. Yakima, 10. Federal Way, 10. Vancouver, 8. Lakewood, 5. Renton, 5. That's not we, we, what we expect for these communities. And let's also be upfront about one, I think, important detail when looking at these numbers, because we'll hear people say in King County, well, the number of deaths are low, or they say that in uh, Tacoma, the, the number of homicides much lower. What's not lower is the number of gun incidents. They're firing more guns or more bullets than they did last year. They're just not hitting and killing as many people. That's the only difference, right? Think about that. They're either just a bad shot or they're shooting people, but they're living. Now, we're glad someone's not being murdered, but let's not pretend like we're in a good spot here because homicides are down when we're still seeing more people getting shot. And when we're seeing, in particular, a rise in youth violence, serious youth violence, that is not a place at all to sit back and say, well, you know, things aren't as bad as they were last year. Yeah, last year was awful because it was a record high. This year is awful still. Will this work in Everett, private security? I don't know. It's not working in Seattle, at least as it relates to vandalism, Because you know where the security doesn't go? Anywhere after hours. Like when everything is done and closed in downtown, you generally don't have, you certainly don't have the same amount of security. And I imagine that's going to be the exact same issue in Everett. But obviously I wish them the best of luck. We don't want them, like we don't want any city to experience a a continued trend of just headed in the wrong direction. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? The economy. So while the White House is touting Bidenomics, People are struggling. People in Seattle are no exception. They're struggling as well. People around Seattle are struggling. A few spoke with Cairo 7 TV over the weekend, and they said, look, we're still feeling the pain from inflation. You're going to spend $100 with only one bag of Safeway. A trip to the grocery store, um, gas, let alone eating out. Um, and so even uh, taking my kids, my own kids to go get school supplies was just super expensive super expensive 
And again, despite the claims from the White House that Bidenomics has been a huge success and you're just not asking the right questions in the polls. Fortune magazine just put out a study that said 61 percent of Americans are still living paycheck to paycheck. Sixty one percent. Now, some of it, to be fair, is on the individuals. They say about 21 percent of the people who are within that 61 percent, 21 percent say that this is due to non-essential spending, meaning we're not in debt like this. We're not living paycheck to paycheck because we are spending too much on rent or our car payment or even on gas. That's obviously a role, but they're spending money on a bunch of stuff that they don't need to. And I understand, particularly after the COVID lockdowns and our economy just being shut down for two years, people wanting to live a life again, right? I get it. But that is on the individuals. I knew someone who was constantly complaining about how poor he was. And I never said anything to his face. I talked about him behind his back with all of his friends. But I would point out, you're spending money every single day on a pack of cigarettes. You've got Netflix and a Hulu account, and you're going out every single night to a bar or to a restaurant. You don't get to complain that you're poor because of that. I knew the rent he was paying, it was at the time, it was relatively low, but was always constantly complaining, always complaining. Well, that's on you. That's on you. But there are still people within that number, right? 41%, it's probably even more than that who are not impacted by non-essential spending. They're impacted by just spending the way that they're supposed to, on their groceries, on their gas, on their rent, on their doctor's bills. And clearly, 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 it's due in large part to the inflationary crisis. Wages went up a little bit, but not even remotely keeping up with inflation. So it's just as if you're making less money. The value of your paycheck is less. And this week and last week, parents in particular headed into a time of year that is expensive, probably maddening, lots of stress, because it's back to school week. Thus, there are a lot of parents like Janai, who lives in Ballard, also speaking with Cairo 7 TV, struggling to pay for everything you have to buy for your kid going into the new school year. For back to school, you need clothes, shoes, undergarments, uh, hygiene products. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like moving into a house with nothing in it. I mean, it's not furniture, but okay. I mean, her point is, except for that last part, well stated, right? I mean, there, there's there's two things you need to consider here, regardless of what it is you're buying. The needs versus the wants. And depending on the age of your kid, the needs will start to change and the wants will start to change. At some point, you're going to need to get a new backpack, right? (laughs) At some point, either because it's broken down or because you were a kid and now you are a young, younger teen. And you're not going to do this, whatever the kids, Pokemon or Paw Patrol. At some point, you're going to have to give that up and get a normal uh, backpack. But also, I like how she pointed out the hygiene needs. That's also true. Depending on the age, all of a sudden you're like, oh, my kid's starting to smell. Oh, my God. He doesn't want to take a shower every night. Like, you're going to have to account for that. And that stuff is expensive. $41 billion is going to be spent this year across the country for back-to-school supplies, which is 
the most ever spent. This is according to the National Retail Federation. The most ever spent. And the reason is because of inflation. 100%. And if you've got a kid in elementary through high school, on average, you will end up spending $890, which is up about $25 from where it was last year. $890 per kid. Like, that's a lot. What are they buying? It's not that expensive. Really? Is it that bad? Those graphing calculators really get you. That's actually part of the issue. It's not the graphing calculators necessarily, but it's the electronics. $15.2 billion out of the $41 billion will be spent on laptops, tablets, and calculators. So it is rather expensive. I will say laptops are clearly not what they used to cost. Like, you can buy a First, for a student, you can buy a really good laptop for, what, $200, probably even less than that. Same thing with a tablet, although weirdly, sometimes the tablets cost more than the actual laptops. But then you're going to spend about $12 billion across the country on average is spent on clothes. Clothes, it's expensive. Your kid is growing. They actually do need some new clothes. And, of course, there's the kids who want to keep up with all the trends, whatever the trend is. is it's, I'm assuming it's still probably the same where I was, Nikes. For shoes. Let's get the new Air Jordans. Probably. I mean, I still <laughs> I still buy those. And they're expensive. Did you get your back to school shoes? Yes, I did. I stole Normally them. Normally you can spend a couple more dollars on your back to school shoes than just your regular shoes. That's how it was for me at if least. If I was a parent, I would find myself struggling to justify, as I'm assuming most parents do, spending $130 on a pair of Nike whatevers for your kid that he or she desperately wants. It's usually he for the Nikes. I think girls like the kids. I'm kidding. I don't know what girls like. Um, when you know your kid's shoe size is going to change in like 12 minutes, right? At some point, they go through the growth spurt that's really significant. The good news for most parents is the kid at seven, eight, nine years old when you really are seeing the shoe shoe size change like every 12 seconds, they don't want the expensive shoes at that point. But when they're 12, 13, and then plus, they do. And I don't remember when my feet stopped growing, but I have a large foot. So at some point, I went from normal size to clown size. And that had to have been expensive for my parents. Not that I care because, you know, whatever. Work harder, mom. (laughs) But, you know, as an adult, if I had to do that, I would start. Well, I wouldn't because I'm wealthy. But if I were you, well, you're too poor. But you know what I mean? Like other people, I understand why they might be a little bit worried about that. There's a CNET money survey that says 43 percent of back to school shoppers will have to finance their purchases, meaning they're putting it on a credit card. These are people who are working paycheck to paycheck. Now, Ted Rossman is an analyst with Bankrate.com. And he gave Cairo 7 TV some rather useless advice that no one will take. And I know kids are saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. And it's uh, it's hard to to stay on track. But that actually brings up another idea, which is involve your kids in the process in an age appropriate way. I mean, especially for teens and tweens, but even for younger kids, talk about the budget, you know, maybe help them sort through the choices. And this is really essential personal finance advice, I think, is. The idea of trade-offs, that if you're going to splurge more in one category, maybe you've got to cut back on something else. Awesome. The kid's going to say, get me the Nike of 
Air Jordan retros that are $170. I'll cut back on, I mean, do we need that textbook? I mean, do we really need the textbook? And I don't need a calculator or pens and pencils. I don't need a notebook. Whatever. Shouldn't the school just give you that stuff? Not the Jordans, but like pens and pencils. Schools, many schools give laptops. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. And that does, I mean, again, I don't know the quality of the laptops, but I'm assuming they're also that $150 to $200 range that does what you need it to do for school. The little Chromebooks yeah. generally or whatever. The You're not going to be able to do a whole bunch of like streaming and gaming on it, but that's not the reason why they get that for you. Well, they block all that on the school servers anyways. What, what do they block now that they said that they were changing the the AI stuff? Is it the chat G- Is it chat P-T? GPT? Yeah. Is that the one that they, because they think everyone's going to cheat? I think They're so. They're all going to cheat. All you have oh, to do yeah. is, yeah, I mean. There's workarounds regardless. Is there a single, let's be totally upfront and honest here. Again, we like to be vulnerable on this show. If we had chat GPT when we were younger, anyone who's listening, I don't care If you're a grandmother in Kenmore or a 39-year-old in Puyallup, we all have the exact same answer. If we had access, we would use it in a heartbeat, every single one of us. How many times we would use it might change. We might feel a little bit guilty at some point or get caught. But we would all use it. Everyone's cheated. 100%. Yeah. So stop this whole, oh, we got to stop the kids from cheating. Oh, well, you know what? Look in a mirror. You cheated. Why can't your kid cheat? Look what it, where it got you. I mean, not you. Don't look where it got you because you're stuck. And I would not wish that upon my worst enemy. I was talking to Max, folks. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. You are listening to The Jason Rant Show. The Jason Rant Show. Let's bring in our man in the Pacific Northwest, KTTH, Seattle top radio host Jason Rance. Great to have you with us to tell people a little bit more about this. Jason Rance is in focus now. Jason Rance, thank you for your reporting on that. The quick hit. The issue of housing density doesn't get a whole lot of attention in the media because on the surface it seems kind of boring. But the truth of the matter is it impacts absolutely every single person who is listening to me right now, regardless of where it is you live. In fact, it's been made worse because of legislation that effectively deems most cities responsible for now increasing density, bringing into neighborhoods that just generally have not wanted to go outside of single family households into the world of building large apartment complexes or duplexes, triplexes. And a lot of folks are unhappy with that. My next guest is a council candidate for Bothell, position number four. Mark Swanson is someone who wants to get in the way of the density planning that is being forced upon the city. Mark Swanson joins me now. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. The issue of density, housing density, when it's written out, kind of sounds boring. But the truth of the matter is, this is something that impacts absolutely everyone, And especially now, because Washington State just passed a law that effectively forces communities to embrace housing density. So if you could, just from a Bothell perspective, take us through what the issues are big picture. Well, big picture is they've made it illegal to have single-family residence zoning in the city, and that's what HB 1110 did. I'm not really too sure why it's not being challenged in court yet, but I expect it to. Uh, 
here in Bothell, we are uh, held by the Growth Management Act to mm-hmm. follow our comprehensive plan. And our comprehensive plan has remained essentially stable for a long time. They're not following that comprehensive plan or the vision statement. They are building apartments like there's no tomorrow. And so the density increase is breathtaking. If people haven't been here in Bothell for the last three or four years, they'd be absolutely surprised at how the essential character and nature of Bothell has been partly destroyed. And as shocking as it is now, Jason, they've only just begun. Because HB 1110, it has a provision in it that once we hit a town of 75,000 people and Jason Greenspan, our community executive community director, he predicts we're going to hit that by 2040. So we're only 49,000 now. Once we hit 75,000, HB 1110 allowed six plexes to be built in single-family residence. Well, it's almost it's designed that way, right? I mean, the the intent is to get a city like Bothell up to a place through these density bills to to get to that population and then force even more onerous requirements and mandates on top of the city, leaving folks like you in a position where you really don't get to have a say on the future of the city. In, In this case, you're running up against a guy named Karsten Kurd who holds, it would appear, quite the opposite position, quite literally, it seems like the opposite position, where you want to say no to adding at least the types of density that I I think most people would say is maybe not necessary for a community like Bothell, whereas he's on the other hand saying, yeah, we want to continue to grow. We want more and more and more housing developments here. So is it really going to come down to just the knowledge of the voter base on this particular issue? Because again, I I don't think how many, I don't think I know many people follow this issue as closely as they ought to. I I know Jason, and that's unfortunate. Uh, You know, I really didn't get into it initially to stop affordable housing or slight increases in density. My real worry was the impact on the salmon and the river habitat. You know, there are just some things that don't make sense. You don't change oil of your car in your garden plot. Mm -hmm. You don't wash dishes in your bathtub. Similarly, you don't pack a whole bunch of apartments, thousands of them, in between two salmon spawning streams that pollute it with a toxic soup from the preservative entires. The State Department of Ecology, they don't even have a horizon on the fix. So we're guaranteeing that we're going to have 90% mortality in our two salmon streams because of all this density being planned. And they're increasing the density, in my opinion. They're violating state law. But is this so? Is your even though the issues are obviously connected, is this really about salmon density or is this more about what Bothell was always meant to be, right? I mean, Bothell, and I believe there was a quote you gave to the Everett Herald, which was, Bothell is supposed to be a residential, single-family neighborhood, period. That, that, that was the whole point behind the, the planning of, of the city of Bothell. That's right. And, you know, we had a, you know, a rather poor start when the timber industry came through and clear-cut, but we've, we've changed from that. Our comprehensive plan and our vision statement says directly that 
the essential single family character nature of the city that will be invested on in and preserved from intrusive things like five-story buildings. You know, I've had two grown men break down in tears in front of me over heartbreak. That does something. Yeah. No, I imagine it does something to you as an individual. I mean, just seeing any adult break down in tears over things like this, that they are incredibly important. I do think, as much as I understand the arguments being made by folks who want to push for more density, and I I find myself slightly more in that camp in a general sense than not, but I'm firmly in the camp of cities dictating its own future, that the people who live there, not some you know, lawmaker in Olympia deciding they know best what's you know right for Bothell when they represent, let's say, Spanaway. And, you know, right. I, I imagine from your perspective, is it a little concerning that this was a bipartisan bill? Well, you know, I can't worry about that. They've made their changes. They've made their decisions. There's nothing I can do about it. And uh, it, that's that's in the hands of the courts. But do you think uh, that that bipartisan support is reflective of where the community is? Or do you think that? No. OK, so the average not. person in Bothell is, is on your side, you believe? Uh, absolutely. I've got two surveys that show it. There's a 2022 survey that Bothell had where the respondents, two-thirds of them were against increasing urban density, two-thirds. It, the, the city council and the planning commission just turned deaf ears. Similarly, we just had another survey in 2023, and the same answers. Only 8% of the respondents thought affordable housing was even an issue. Mm-hmm. So, the, the Bothell residents have spoken out uh, absolutely loud and clear. They want to preserve our character. They want to preserve single-family residences. They want to protect it. They don't want five-story buildings next door to them. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the people I met, they've lived in the same house since he was born in 1955, wow. and they built a five-story apartment that turns their backyard into a fishbowl. Well. That can't happen. It's got to end. These people are not representing the single-family residents of Bothell. They're not preserving our character. They're not protecting our treescapes, our urban forests. They're handing over our Bothell green belts to rich developers who buy the property from out of town and subdivide it like mad. And unlike Kirkland, we don't have a design review board. The city hall has steadfastly fought against yeah. it. So it, since we don't have that, it, we end up with the monstrosity that we have yeah. on 522 right now. Yeah, we've we've heard similar concerns from other cities, including Muckleteo, for example. And this, of course, was all before the, the legislation was passed. So last question for you is heading into this election – what is the plan to make sure that people realize that this is the key issue, that you're running against someone who has, again, what appears to be the polar opposite viewpoint that you have on an issue that you believe that the voters are very clearly in line with your thinking? How do you get that message out? Well, I've got, I've got, to, uh, I've got a Facebook presence that talks about my platform, but I've got to do a better job. And, you know, support for me unexpectedly has just come out of the woodwork, Jason. Mm-hmm. I, I never expected 
people to be so ardently supportive of, of me. Uh, it's been a surprise. But one of the things that's important to me is we need to bring back the indigenous peoples that were displaced out of Bothell and bring their spirit back. You know, the Treaty of Point Elliot back in 1856, a lot of people don't know they actually hung Chef Chief Leshi after putting him in prison for two years. If we can bring back the indigenous people's character and residence inside this, the city of Bothell, we can create by state law. State law allows them to create a co-planning commission so we can offset the poor decisions and the rapaciousness of these urbanists, these confirmed urbanists that have steamrolled the city. Yeah, you think, though, if you bring back tribal presence to Bothell, they'll be okay with what's happened to Bothell? They'll, no, no. They, so, I, I don't know if you want to invite that kind of uh, additional fight to, to the city, but I, I hear you. I, I understand your point. Uh, again, we've been talking with Mark Swanson. He's running for city council in the city of Bothell. The position is position number four. He's up against a Democrat who holds, on at least on this issue, quite the opposite viewpoint. And again, if, if people are concerned with the future density planning of, of a city that's now being forced, like everybody else pretty much, into making these tough decisions, if, if, if this is something that matters to you, uh, it would appear that Mark is the candidate for you. Mark Swanson, thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jason pleasure. Absolutely. You're listening to The Jason Rancho. When we come back, we're going to dive into some quick hits. The Jason Rancho. Let's bring in our man in the Pacific Northwest, KTTH, Seattle talk radio host Jason Rance. Great to have you with us to tell people a little bit more about this. Jason Rance is in focus now. Jason Rance, thank you for your reporting on that. The quick hit. Mark Cuban got into it a little bit with Matt Walsh from The Daily Wire and Stephen Miller from America First Legal over a TikTok video that started to spread over the weekend. A TikTok video that spreads means one of two things, a silly person doing a silly and irresponsible thing or a truly insufferable person with a truly insufferable hot take. And in this case, it is the latter. This was posted on Saturday, or maybe it might have been posted on Sunday about her Saturday. She, her, her name is PMD Pod, or not her name, that's her TikTok account. And she was bragging about life as a single woman. And whenever we get videos like this, especially when they're not coming from that uh, annoying comedian from E, what's her name? Chelsea Handler. Ugh. Her videos are all the same, which is basically to just brag that she's single and dismiss parents. And that's precisely what we ended up getting from this TikToker. It's 1045 a.m. on a Saturday. I'm 29 and single and I don't have kids yet. Here's what your Saturday morning looks like when you're single at 29 and you don't have a kid running around the house. I didn't rise from my bed until 1015. Wow, you're so lazy. That's what you are. This is not something to be bragging about. You're a lazy person who apparently doesn't have a life. If you're able to just brag about staying in bed every Saturday until 10 whatever, that means you have nothing going on in your life or you're an alcoholic. Oh, she might be. Every time I thought I should probably get up and do something. I thought, why? Nobody's making me. I'm not missing out on anything. Well, actually, you are missing out on stuff. You're missing out on life. 
There's that whole thing. I went to Beyonce last night and I didn't get home until 1 a.m. And I danced and drank my little heart out. Oh, and I didn't go. pay a babysitter to watch my kids as oh, I did wow. that. And oh. I woke up a tad hungover this morning, which is probably why I was in bed for so long. Yeah. And I was just scrolling on my phone and I saw a picture of Shakshuka and I thought, you know what sounds really good? Maybe I'm going to learn how to make Shakshuka today. It's not difficult to make Shakshuka, by the way. It's just tomatoes and eggs. I have no plans and I don't have kids and I don't have a husband and I don't have errands to run. I oh my God, it's almost like she wouldn't be able to learn how to cook shakshuka if she had kids. Apparently, if she had a husband, she wouldn't be able to do that either. It's not something I guess you can incorporate them into. I can go to the grocery store and learn how to make shakshuka. So that's on my agenda. You just like saying shakshuka. Today. Also on my agenda, probably a rewatch of some Real Housewives of New York. I'm also oh, wow. doing a rewatch of Normal People on Hulu, which is really spicy and I highly recommend. Weirdly, no I'm cares. into this documentary on oh, Netflix about blue zone countries. Oh, so I've got a pretty stacked day. Anyway, oh, I so say all it's so stacked. I'm like, have you watching television all day? And not even like good television. I'm gonna be watching Real Housewives. Yeah. All this to say, whenever I'm hard on myself about why I'm not married and I don't have kids and I should be further along at 29, almost 30, I wouldn't want to do anything else. This yeah, we got it. You wouldn't want to do anything else. These are the types types of videos that are so incredibly insufferable because it's not so much that they're happy with their situation they're just unhappy that you're happy as someone who might be married or have kids that's really what this video is about this is someone who lives a truly empty and lonely life trying to convince herself by convincing others that she's happy and satisfied when she very clearly is not because there are other people who feel satisfied in their lives and they're not yet married or having kids myself uh, included i don't post videos like this and I'm a narcissist and I don't post videos like this because I don't need to convince anybody else that I'm content at this point without having kids. I, I don't want kids, but I also don't go around bashing other people who have kids. It's just a really disgusting kind of message. And so Matt Walsh from the Daily Wire called her out posting the video says, her life doesn't revolve around her family and kids, so instead it revolves around TV shows and pop stars. Worst of all, she's too stupid to realize how depressing this is. And I think that that is a truly fair observation. Then Mark Cuban from the the owner of the Mavs, but from Shark Tank, weighs in and says to, to Matt, says the guy whose life revolves around Twitter. And, and Matt's life doesn't revolve around Twitter. It's just so dumb. And so at that point, Stephen Miller saw it. And Stephen Miller, formerly of the Trump administration, now with America First Legal, he sent a tweet to Mark Cuban says, you have a large following. People listen to your advice. What would you say is a more fulfilling path for adults, starting a family or sleeping late and watching TV? What advice would you give to someone who suggests they wish to be childless so they can stream more shows? And of course, Mark Cuban decides to disingenuously respond with a rather lengthy tweet, at least lengthy by tweet standards. And first says, I wouldn't give her advice unless she asked. Oh, okay. Well, no one asked you to weigh in on Matt Walsh's piece, and you, you decided to anyway. And then he says, after looking at the comments to her posts, I would thank her for offering a place for people who can relate to her to engage and have a conversation. She replies to the comments, and based on that, people seem to appreciate it. Uh, yeah, other people who have listless lives. From a business perspective, I would tell her that the wellness space is crowded, but if she does this in addition to her job, she might be able to build a nice business. No, she won't be able to. This is someone who creates annoying videos on TikTok, and that is all she's capable of doing. As, for, as far as a family, I would tell her to do whatever she thinks is best for her. It's none of my bleeping business. 
Uh huh. Yeah, it's none of your business, really. Why are you weighing in if it's none of your business? Why don't you just shut up and sit out? Sit out of this. And then if I had you both in a room, I would point at her and thank her for trying to bring joy to others. And I would point at you and ask what happened that causes you to hate so much. Seriously, Stephen, why so much hate from you? Now, of course, Stephen wasn't hating anything. He wasn't showing any kind of hate. He was calling out a reasonable position, which is why are we amplifying messages that dismiss the importance of family when we know, when we know that families bring communities together? And so he responded by saying, no society can succeed where the constant message from our elite leaders is do whatever the hell you want and don't worry about children. Children are simply the most important thing in the whole world and the foundation of civilization and all human flourishing. And then says, could you be more specific with your crass, and I think you would acknowledge unprovoked, smear on point number five? That was the last one. The issue slash work with which I'm arguably most associated – Stopping human trafficking and smuggling is quite literally about saving lives. Now, at that point, of course, I don't see Mark Cuban actually responding, at least not in in the, the thread. So clearly Mark Cuban is on the wrong side of this, and clearly Stephen Miller is on the right. And I apologize. He did respond. He said a retweet. He didn't reply in, in the thread. He said what any individual does in terms of having children or not is their choice, full stop. No one is arguing that it's not a choice. The argument is about whether or not it's fulfilling and what message it sends when you tell people that something that we all know to be fulfilling for the vast majority of people in order for them to watch Real Housewives of of New York is not the best message to send. That's all that this is about, full stop. I hate people who say full stop. You're listening to The Jason Rand Show, full stop. 